Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers the 13th chapter, and um, if you'll just kind of park yourself there, I'm going to do a little bit of review and then we'll jump in. Let me find it with you while you're finding it, praise God. Numbers um, chapter 13, praise God. All right, so we have now for uh, several weeks uh, been talking about a very important subject, and um, this subject, of course, springs board out of a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, where the scriptures there instruct us to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And what we've learned is that the spirit of your mind is your self-image. It's the way you see yourself. It's, it's, it's how you think of yourself. It's what you believe to be true about yourself. It's the opinion that you have of yourself. In the course of our study, we've learned that your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. And you can never change the reflection unless you change the image being reflected. So the only way your life reality will ever experience any kind of meaningful or lasting change, there's going to have to be a change uh, at the deeper level of your self-image. Again, your life reality is a reflection of your self-image, so your life reality will never change unless there is a substantial change in the way you see yourself, the way you think of yourself, what you believe to be true about yourself. So we've also learned that it's impossible to have the wrong self-image and function in the potential you possess as the offspring of God. So as, as a child of God, you know, you, you have uh, potential, and again, we've covered so much of this, I'm trying to go through this rather quickly, but for instance, John 14, Jesus speaking, he said the works that he did, you'll do also, and even greater works because he goes to his Father. And he was talking about the context of that is talking about the signs, the wonders, the miracles that Jesus performed. And he says to born-again believers that, that you, and, and this is not the only place we see this, but I'm, I'm just trying to show you, again, the potential that, um, that we possess as the offspring of God. But as long as we have the wrong self-image, we will never function in our full potential. We've said this, as long as the image we have of ourselves reflects the man we were, speaking of the man we were before we were born again, our conduct and condition of life will reflect the man we were, even though we're not that man any longer. This, again, is why we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We've also said along the way more than once, I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. Now, for the child of God... Fear, shame, depression, inferiority, insecurity, condemnation, and feelings of unworthiness, and a whole lot of other things for that matter, are all rooted in a wrong self-image. They're all rooted in a wrong self-image. Now, a lot of times when, you know, when we think in terms of changing our lives, you know, maybe we're wanting to change some habit, maybe we're wanting to change uh, something about ourselves, uh, but so many times the change that we long for and go after is surface. It's, it's superficial um, without ever really understanding that, that there's deeper rooted things, um, you know, inside of us that with the Lord's help um, can change. Um, so, you know, we think how different our life would be 
if we could, you know, get out of debt or how different our life would be um, if we lost 10 pounds or how different our life would be if our children would just do right or how, you know, we, we think in terms of, of, of that and, and, and trying to change those kinds of things. How different would your life be if you weren't dominated by fear any longer? How different would your life be if, if you lived a shame-free, con- condemnation-free life? Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So, you know, the, I'm not saying, you know, there aren't adjustments that we all need to make to our lives and to our families and maybe our financial situation. Maybe we could exercise more and eat a few less donuts. I know, amen, I'm certainly trying, praise God. Um, but, but again, those things are surface at best. The Bible says bodily exercise profits, but it profits little. But godliness is profitable in all things. Amen. So there, the enemy will have you, you know, chasing um, superficial change the rest of your life. Amen. Um, am I the only one that it took me to my mid-40s to realize that my New Year's resolution list hadn't changed in a couple of decades? You know, I'm like, what, you know, what is this, you know? And, uh, and, and it was interesting because, you know, I love words. And so I would try to figure out how to say the same thing more poetically. You know, I would, I would try to, you know, you know, I mean, there's only one way to say you're overweight, dude, you need to lose some weight. You know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, you, you try to say it more, you know, like more spiritual sounding, you know, I will sacrifice my carbohydrates to the Lord. You know, it's like, no, man, just, just, you know, just get, get real. You know what I'm saying? But again, it's, it's basically the same thing day in and day out, year in and year out that, that we feel like, you know, if we could just change this, well, there's an underlying root that the Lord will help us with. Amen? So your self-image affects everything that has anything to do with you. Now remember, you are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. Because you are a three-dimensional being, this means that you have three different images. Your true image, your spirit, this is as you are known in heaven. Your self-image, which is your soul, that's the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses, okay? And that would be as you know yourself, okay? And then we have our projected image. This would correspond with our body, our outward man, and this is as we make ourselves known, all right? Now, with all that said, I believe we're ready for Numbers chapter 13. Let's jump in at verse number 27. So Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 um, I'm not going to, you know, read uh, all that led up to this, but just to kind of help orient you and provide some context, um, Moses is leading God's people. Um, they've already been brought out of slavery in Egypt, and now they're crossing the desert, and um, they're going to enter into uh, the promised land. Uh, God's best life for them. Remember, he brought them out of slavery so that he might bring them into the promised land. He brought you and I out of the slavery of sin to sin so that he might bring us into our promised land, which is not just heaven one day when we die, but it's our best life here uh, on this earth. Amen. If all, if all he was interested in was getting us to heaven, then the minute we got born again, we'd go there. Amen. But we have an assignment here uh, on this earth that um, a job to do, if you will, a commission to fulfill, if you will. And, and so, um, but we can enjoy life and, and have our best life as, as we're doing this, okay? And so um, they're getting close to the promised land, and so God instructs Moses 
to select one leader from each of the 12 tribes. This would be 12 men, 12 spies, and to send them over into the promised land and to bring back evidence um, to support what God had been telling them for generations, that it was truly a land of plenty. It was truly a land that flows with milk and honey. Um, And he even told them to bring back some produce from the land. And so the 12 spies go in and they come back and they're bringing clusters of grapes on, on a pole that they're having to carry between two men resting on their shoulders. And they talk about the pomegranates and they talk about the forest and they talk about how this land is, is just unlike any land that they had, had ever seen. Um, but after they give them the report of how fruitful and beautiful the land is, they then talk about how um, it's impossible for them to go in and possess the land as God had instructed them to do, all right? And so this is where we jump in here at verse 27. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Look at me for a minute. So you know what they're saying here, right? They're saying there's no room for us. There's no place for us. This group's in the mountains. This group's in the valley. This group's in the plains. This group's by the sea. This group's by the river. Um, There's nowhere for us uh, over there. There's no place for us. Um, over there, uh, poor, pitiful us, right? Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Now, let me give you, if you don't know, let me give you the rest of the story, okay? Um, There's 12 spies. 10 of the spies have a bad report, Um, Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, um, they say, look, there are giants there, and yes, it's populated, but God is with us, and if God is with us, we can go up at once and take what God says is ours. So you had two, now watch what I'm about to do here, okay? You had two pastors telling them that they could, and you had ten pastors telling them that they couldn't, okay? Okay. And everybody knows that when it comes to the things of God, majority always rules, right? Wrong, okay. God always rules. And whoever's, you know, aligning themselves with what God said is the one that's on the right side, even if there's, it's just two of them, right? If there's just one of them. If there's nobody, God's still right, amen? So two of the spies said, let's go up at once. Ten said no, And the ten pastors persuaded the rest of the Israelites um, that it was impossible. And they wailed and they cried and they moaned and they groaned and we should have stayed in Egypt and blah, 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 right? Now, before we go any further too, I want you to notice that Caleb said, let us go up at once. Those of you who've been with our study for some time now, you know that we've looked at a man named Gideon in the book of Judges. And that Gideon had a very poor image of himself. And, 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 and Father God was trying to get Gideon motivated to do what Gideon could do. And if you remember, he told him, go. He told Gideon, what, go in this might of yours. 
go in this might of yours. So now we see Caleb saying, let's go at once. Uh, Joshua, let's go at once. The angel of the Lord telling Gideon, let's go at once. Can I tell you what go is? Go is an action word. Go is get up and go. Go is it's time to step out. Go is you can either go down with the ship or you can walk on water. Let's go and let's not drag our feet about it. Let's go up at once. Okay? So why am I emphasizing this? Because so many times we get caught in these situations in our own life where we think, because of the image we have of ourselves, we think we're waiting on God when the truth of the matter is we're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. He has done for us. He has given to us. He has spoken over us. He has empowered us. He has blessed us with with more than we will ever need to fulfill our purpose and destiny in this life, right? And yet we, we, we keep crying out to Him. I don't mean to just be blunt about it, but whining and complaining and griping to Him, right? Wondering when He's going to do something. When the word of the Lord for us this morning is go. Get up and go, right? Jesus did not say, fellas, I'm going to go to the world and preach the gospel. Would you like to come along? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and when you go, I will be with you. See, we're sitting around waiting for God to do things that He's empowered us to do. He's equipped us to do. He's gifted us to do. And, 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 and are very frustrated. Now, again, all of this, and I'm going to show it to you in a moment, but all of this is, is, is rooted not just in unbelief. It, it is unbelief, absolutely unbelief, but it's, it's unbelief because of a wrong self-image so he says we're well able to overcome it again you probably know how this story ends but all of these people that are there that day including Moses are going to die short of the glory of God they're going to fall short of the glory of God they're going to fall short of God's highest and best for them they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the last one of this generation dies with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb will be the only two from this entire generation that will enter into the promised land. And Joshua is going to to lead them. And it's fascinating um, to read about it in the book bearing his name. But let's keep going here. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Look at me now. Who told them that? See, this is how they see themselves. They see themselves as weak. They see their enemy as strong. They, they see themselves as, as unable, and they see their, their, their enemies as able. They see themselves as less than the challenges that are in front of them. This is self-image. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. The King James Version, I like it better, it says an evil report. They gave them an evil report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. So they never saw a child. Notice now how they see themselves 
is influencing how they see everything around them. They see themselves as weak, their enemy as strong. They see their, their, th- themselves as small, their enemy as, as large. And now notice how th- they're, now they're, they've entered into exaggeration. Now they're saying that this land literally eats strangers. It devours its inhabitants, right? Notice now, they've been eating manna for all this time. Father God is ready for them to change their diet. I told you one time how many thousand Chick-fil-A sandwiches I ate because I worked at Chick-fil-A for a lot of years and the owner of our store let us eat for free, right? But after a while, as good as it is, you actually get tired of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Amen. This was before the days of, of nuggets, and I remember when we started doing nuggets anyway. But praise God, that's a, it's still the same chicken, right? Just a, it, amen, it's just a bite. Amen, all right. These folks have been eating manna for a long time. They're ready for something fresh. This, this land has, I mean, it is a buffet, right? But they can't see what's there for them to eat. All they can see is what's over there is going to eat them. Now, listen to this last verse, verse 33. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now, this is very, very important for our current subject. What are we talking about? We're talking about self-image. We're talking about being renewed in the spirit of our minds, being renewed in the way that we see ourselves so that we see ourselves not in light of all that's been done to us, but we see ourselves in light of everything that's been done for us. Okay? And notice now, it's, there's evidence of it in what they said leading up to verse 33. They're strong, we're weak, they're big, we're small, they've taken up all the place, there's no place for us, we don't fit in anywhere. See that? Listen to me, please. It's what the devil's trying to tell you. You don't fit in anywhere, you don't belong anywhere, you're, nobody wants you. Blah, blah. That, that's, that was their self-image, that was how they saw themselves. But then they just come right out and say it in verse 33. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So they had a grasshopper complex. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They had a self-image. They had an image of themselves that was literally that of a grasshopper. What is a grasshopper? What does that mean, a grasshopper? It's talking about a bug to be squashed. Just to be stomped, I mean, just to be made a greasy spot out of with one boot from a giant. But it doesn't stop there, notice. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Again, this is an assumption on their part. They are assuming that they're as grasshoppers in the eyes of those people who dwell in the land. Now, again, I'm not going to take the time to turn to every verse, 
But if you fast forward to the book of Joshua, when this generation dies out and we send folks in again, spies in again, we find that for 40 years the people in Canaan land had been shaking in their boots fearing and loathing the day that the Israelites crossed the Jordan River to come take what was theirs. These people did not see them as measly. They did not think of them as grasshoppers. They thought of them as the men and women that God was with, the great God Jehovah who delivered them to Egypt. Egypt was was the lone world superpower in their day. And the God who loved His people so much to bring them out, He turned Egypt into a nuclear war zone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not that there was a nuclear bomb, but again, read what Egypt looked like the day they left. And those folks had literally, they hadn't got a good night's sleep in 40 years. But that's not how they saw themselves. So what do we see here? They saw themselves as grasshoppers. And because that was the image that they had of themselves, that was the image they assumed that other people had of them. Now, let me, let me back up for just a second. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. The giants made them, listen to the word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overemphasize it, okay? The giants made them feel small. The giants made them feel helpless. The giants made victory seem impossible. See, your enemy is wanting you to live your life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. The way things look, seem, and feel. So, Notice, for those of you who've been with our study again, if you're new to this, there's, all these sermons are recorded free of charge, okay? But I, I want to just remind you real quick about the self-image feedback loop. Anybody remember that? Yes, please tell me you do. Let's see if you remember this drawing, okay? You remember this drawing? Your self-image determines how you feel and how you behave. But the feedback loop is when we allow what determines our feelings and behavior to be influenced by our feelings and behavior. So they made them feel small. So because they felt small, they said we are small. Because it seemed hopeless. Because they felt helpless, right? We feel helpless, so we are helpless we, we, we look small, so we are small. It seems impossible, so we are not enough. We can't do enough. We'll never be enough. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. We're not fast enough. We're not plentiful enough. We, 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 we're not smart enough. We, notice how their feelings, how the situation is making them feel, is now feeding back into forming within them how they see themselves. Feel, I feel lonely, so I am lonely. The devil is constantly trying to get you to identify yourself by the way you feel and by the way you behave. 
Because I do this, I am this. Because I feel this, I am this. This is where most humanity is living today. And I hate to say it, but it's where most of the church is living today. I feel like a grasshopper. So I am a grasshopper. That's that's where they were. So notice now. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So let's, let's get something established, okay? If, 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 this were, if, if, this, if this sermon series was a building, this is a really important stone in the foundation of this, okay? Are you ready? You will always believe other people see you as you see yourself. We've got a lot of dots to connect. This will we'll probably, probably be on this at least into summer. Okay? We, we haven't even gotten at least, we're going to roll up our sleeves in the days ahead, and we're going to tackle true image. Okay? Because before your self-image can ever align with your true image, you've got to know what your true image is. You know, if you're going to see yourself the way God sees you, if you're going to see yourself as you are already seen and known in heaven, you've got to know how you're already seen and known in heaven and why you're already seen and known that way in heaven. And so we talked about a little bit of that at Easter and we, and, and, and we sprinkling some in along the way because we, we need it. But there's just a lot of dots here for us to connect. When I tell you that your self-image affects everything that has anything to do with you, I'm telling you, Anything that you're a part of, anything that involves you, anything that concerns you, anything you're connected with, anything you're a part of, anything that has to do with you, period, your self-image is going to impact that either positively or negatively. You will always believe other people see you as you see yourself. That's what we see in Numbers 13. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. Think about it now. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers, but they saw us as the U.S. Marine Corps. I don't think so. I don't think so. Right? You you picking up what I'm putting down? (laughs) They're not going to see themselves as grasshoppers and believe that their enemies see them as this unstoppable force that God is with, that God delivered from the world's superpower, and now these folks, as it was later said of them, they're bred to us. It's impossible to see yourself as a loser and live like a winner. It's impossible to see yourself as a loser and believe everyone else sees you as a winner. Now, I think, I think this is clear enough, but I just want to make sure that I don't want to, I don't want to rush through this part because there's some things, remember, it's like a foundational stone. Once we get the stone set, now we're going to build some things on top of it. We, we've got to get this settled once and for all. How you see yourself is how you believe other people see you. Let's, let's do a little bit of review here. It's impossible to have a poor self-image and a high self-esteem. It's impossible to have a low self-esteem and a high self-worth. 
It's impossible to have a low self-worth and a high self-confidence. And again, by self-confidence, we don't mean confidence in self. We mean confidence in who we are in Christ. I'm not saying that the Israelites should have had confidence in themselves, but they should have had confidence in who they were to the one who brought them out of Egypt and promised to bring them into the promised land. It's impossible to have a low self-confidence and function in the potential you possess as the offspring of God. Now, praise God. We're going to take a little side journey for a minute. This, this may be as much as we have time for today, but let's take a little side journey for a minute, okay? I'm, I'm going to say it again, all right? You will always believe other people see you as you see yourself. It's impossible to see yourself as a loser and live like a winner. It's impossible to see yourself as a loser and believe everyone else sees you as a winner, now, I told you earlier, and I'll remind you again, your outer image, we'll connect some dots. Can we connect some dots? Your outer image, also known as your projected image, also known as you make yourself known. So you have your true image, corresponds with your spirit. You have your self-image, corresponds with your soul. Then you have your projected image. This corresponds with your outward man or your body. And this is the version of ourselves that we want other people to see. It's how we want people to see us. Why do we want people to see us differently from the way we see ourselves? It's because we have a wrong self-image of ourselves. We don't want people to think that we're a loser, even though we believe we are. So we set out to try and prevent people from seeing us and thinking of us the way we see ourselves and think of ourselves. So we try to make ourselves known in a certain way this is why we try to project the image to people we want them to see and believe all kinds of problems are created by this approach to living i'm going to try to just as we could preach a sermon series on some of these Staying with the generic, and I say loser, you understand, not enough, inadequate, whatever, how so many people see themselves. So just staying with the generic loser self-image, an individual sees himself or herself as a loser. But the thinking goes something like this, consciously or even subconsciously. Maybe I can project a different image to people around me so they won't see me as the loser that I really am. And again, anything that has to do with your life, okay? Please don't raise your hand, but if there's a parent in the room, I would guarantee you, and if, and if, this, doesn't, if this isn't you, then that's fine. You ask the Lord, though. But if this isn't you, that's fine, but you're, you're the exception, Okay? There's not a parent in this room that hasn't felt like they were not a good parent. Not a parent in this room that felt like I've I've blown it trying to raise my children. Okay? But boy, that's not what we try to project to everybody around us, is it? Can we we be real about it this morning, right? You know, on the inside, we feel like we are just the, you know, not doing so hot of a job as a parent. But man, we try to project to the world, right, that we're just the great parent. 
Okay, I don't know what I was expecting, but it's, amen. Just stay with me on it. See if you remember this line. Too many in the body of Christ are putting on airs instead of putting on Christ. They asked Jesus, the religious establishment asked Jesus, they said, who do you make yourself out to be? Think about that. Think about that right there. Who do you make yourself out to be? Not who are you. Who do you make yourself out to be? They had gotten so caught up in this approach to life, uh, not about who you really are, but who you can make somebody believe you are, that they asked Jesus, let me paraphrase, who are you trying to make us believe you are? Because that's how they woke up every day. That, that was their part of their morning ritual. That was the clothes that they wore. That was the, the, the look of piety that they practiced in front of the mirror on their faces. This was the phylacteries hanging out in front of their faces. This was the, 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 the stance and the, and, the, and the gait with which they walked amongst the people. These things were rehearsed because they were trying to project an image to the people that they were righteous, that they were spiritual, that they were holy, and, and, and although they didn't want to say it out loud, that they were better than them. So they asked Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? So again, all kinds of problems are created by this simple, broken approach to life. That's why people are more interested in reputation. Defending their reputation. Where do you think bragging and boasting comes from? And why do we do it? Why do we exaggerate? Why do we exaggerate? I caught myself doing it uh, in, in a class at the foundry, and, 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 uh, um, and, and, I, and I corrected myself in front of them. I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. If I ever do it again here, I'll correct myself here, right? I was talking about um, a book. I've mentioned that book in here, Jesus Manifesto, and I threw out some crazy number that I'd read the book seven times. I've not read that book seven times. Why? What? Think about it now. Why? I'm sitting there like, why would I? tell them I've read that book seven times because it makes me look so educated it makes me look so committed it makes me look so spiritual right I exaggerated it why because I'm trying to project an image to people right why why am I trying to project an image to them because I don't want them to see who I think I really am Why do we exaggerate? Not so I don't exaggerate, Pastor Mark. Well, well, good for you, but I'm not sure you didn't just exaggerate. <laughs> if you said you never do, amen. Right? But why can't we just tell them we read the book three times? Listen to it on Audible twice or something. Why do we have to exaggerate it? Self-righteousness, where we would rather convince other people that we're righteous instead of just believe that Jesus has made us righteous. You see, religion thrives. Religious bondage thrives in this approach to life. I said all kinds of problems are created by this approach. Insecurity. Here's a big one. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. 
What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is, is, is somebody who tries to pretend they're something that they're not. That's hypocrisy. Also known as a projected image. This approach to life creates all kinds of problems. It's, it's where we try to be who we think those around us want us to be. It's mentally and emotionally draining. It leaves us feeling phony. This is a huge one right here. It leaves us feeling like no one loves us for who we really are. Because we, we, we have this fear inside of us that if they really knew us, they wouldn't love us. And so we got to make sure we kind of juice it up a little bit so they'll think we're a fascinating person and lovable and interesting and somebody that they would like to, you know, spend a few hours in a bass boat with or something. It leaves us feeling like no one understands us. And these are real problems. It causes us to live our lives through the eyes of other people. We, we make decisions and choices based upon how we think other people will, will view it and what other people will think about it, what other people will say about it. Maybe I've been honest enough already or maybe not this morning, right? The Lord has blessed me. And yet there, there are times when I'm like, man, I don't. When he blessed me with that new truck out there, I thought, well, maybe I'll just keep driving my old truck on Sunday morning. Right? I mean, what, you know, what them folks going to think me driving up in a Denali Ultimate? That's what it is. You open the door and the running boards come out for you. So then I felt compelled to tell everybody, well, you know, the last truck, I got it in 2019. I've got 250,000 miles on it. When I buy them, you know, I mean, it's pay a lot of money for it, but, you know, I'll drive, I'll drive that truck 20 years. I'll put 300,000 miles on it. You know, I might even give that truck to Oliver one day. Ha, 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 right? Why am I saying all that? Because I'm afraid what somebody might think about me driving an expensive truck. I'm blessed, brother. I mean, how much of God's blessings are being, you know, prevented from, you know, making it its way into our life reality because we don't want to, you know, brag, you know, not brag, but people think we're bragging or boasting because of, of what he's done for us. Embarrassed about it. Delight yourself in the Lord to give you the desires of your heart. We wind up living our lives through the eyes of other people, and it taints everything that we do when we try to live that. We can't enjoy anything. Concerned about what somebody else is going to think about it. Where do you think competition between people comes from? Trying to outdo somebody else. It's because they've just projected an image that seems to be better than the one you've projected, so we've got we to project another one out there to get the upper hand. 
And we get caught up in this silly game of trying to outdo one another. And it's like we never realize, you know, you're competing. That's not who that person really is. They're projecting something. And now you're going to compete with them by projecting your own image to try to make yourself feel better about you. Where do you think jealousy comes from? Trying to get attention. Comparison. Can I tell you something that will make a tremendous difference in your life? And you can go ahead and nail it down right now and make it a non-negotiable. Because the Bible tells you to do it, by the way. From this day forward, I will never compare myself to another person. The Bible says, do not compare yourself to other people. Nothing good comes of it. If you find, if you compare yourself to somebody who may be doing better than you or may be wanting you to think they're doing better than you, come on, you're going to feel inferior. If you compare yourself to somebody who may not be doing as well as you or may not be as skilled as projecting an image as you, either way, you're going to feel superior to them, better than them. Either place, either position is wrong. The Bible makes it very clear. Do not compare yourself with one another. We're all different. You shouldn't be measuring how you're doing compared to how somebody else is doing. Because you can always find somebody who doesn't seem to be doing as well, and you can always find somebody who seems to be doing better. We measure ourselves against other people. Let me, let me, let me, can I just a minute? Can I? Until I'm doing the works that Jesus did, see that this is, this is why, this is why the body of Christ, you know, we, 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 we would rather compare our spirituality to somebody else's spirituality. We'd rather compare how many times we're at church in a month to how many times somebody else is at church in a month. At least I go. See, again, I'll be through with this in a minute. It's going to get a little stronger before it gets better, though. Stay with me, okay? See, Measuring yourself against another person. Can I tell you what that is? And Jesus told us not to do it. It's called judging. Do you, do you know what? If you look up, look it up, not right now, but look it up later. If you look up, when Jesus says, thou shalt not judge, do you, do you know what it means? I've had people say, well, you know, I wasn't judging them. I was just expressing an opinion. Do you know what judging means? It means to form and express an opinion. Well, I, 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 was just, I was just giving my opinion. No, you were judging. 
But why? Think about it. This is what I'm trying to get you to see more than anything. If any of this is stinging, I'm not trying to make it painful. I'm just trying to show you. The bigger question is, why do we do it? Why do we judge somebody else? We judge other people to make ourselves feel better about who we are. It's like maybe I'm not quite the loser I thought I was since I found somebody else who's a bigger loser than me. I may gossip. I may look at internet pornography. I may this and I may that, people say, you know, but at least I'm not doing heroin. At least I'm not a drug addict. At least I'm see again, why are we judging? We look at other people to feel better about the things that, that we're, we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. <clears throat> feel like you have to prove yourself. How about that one? Now, I want you to consider for a moment and I know this, again, hasn't been the funnest part, okay, but I want you to consider for a moment how natural all of this seems and comes for us. Heaven, help us. I'll finish here. James chapter 5. Whew. Praise God. James chapter 5. Can we, can we finish? Please? <laughs> Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Okay? Now, we, we love these verses here at Heritage. Amen. We believe these verses here at Heritage. We practice these verses here at Heritage. There's the oil to prove it, okay? But he keeps talking in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, I will guarantee you that if you have not done it, you have heard other people do it. And that is, you have heard other people quote the last part of verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Availeth much, if you want to get all King James on it, right? How many of you knew that verse 16, it was only the last part of the verse that says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? That the first part, all of this is connected, right, with, with uh, anointing with oil, laying on of hands, prayer, healing, sins being forgiven. But now he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let me give you verse 16 in the Amplified. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your fault steps, your offenses, your sins. 
And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. You see, we've traded confess your sins to one another for pretending like we don't have any. And it's costing us. You cannot pray an effective, fervent, and powerful prayer through a mask. It won't work. You've got to take off the mask. If you're going to pray an effective, fervent, and powerful prayer. Now, you see, now I'm getting really nervous here. Like, are we, you fixing to make us do this, Pastor Mark? No, no, you just hear me. I'm, I'm trying to show you what he's saying here. He's saying, confess your faults. What does is, what is confessing your faults have to do with it? It has to do with being real. It has to do with stopping the silly game. I believe there's two reasons why we don't practice this. The first one is the big one, and I think the most obvious. We're afraid of what people will think of us if we do. And the second one is, unfortunately, we have none to very few people in our lives we can confess our sins to because they're playing the same silly games that we are trying to play. Singers and musicians, come on, please. Praise the name of the living God. That was my introduction. So obviously we didn't get very far this morning. I have something for you. Some of you asked me about this. Some of you have already asked me to send it to you. I have. Some of you asked me if I would do this, and, and I was planning on it, but thank you for the feedback and the, and the uh, encouragement. But on the tables in the back, some of you may have already grabbed one, but on the tables in the back, we have, um, from last Sunday's sermon, uh, a self-image based on what has been done for you. And, um, Amen. You know I'm going to, right? Amen. If we'd have gotten there this morning, we would have went back to Gideon. Gideon saw himself as a victim. But here here is the thing I want you to take home with you, okay? How you see yourself is not only how you think other people see you. How you see yourself is how you think God sees you as well. This is why we run from him instead of running to him. And we said that, that, we said that Gideon had a self-image based upon what the Midianites had done to him instead of a self-image based upon what God has done for him. So this is a word from the Lord to us. Thus says the Lord God Jehovah, I knew you and loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I gave you purpose and grace in my son before time began. I chose you to be one with me and to be as Jesus is to me before you ever lived a single day of your life. I loved you so much that I sent my son to rescue you. He became your sin and was punished in your place, so sin will never separate you from me again. 
When he became your sin, I turned my back on him, but did so knowing it would be the last time I ever had to turn my back on one of my children. At great cost to myself, I delivered you from sin, and I also delivered you from the curse of sin, including sickness, poverty, and death. By my son's sufferings and stripes, all of your sicknesses and diseases have been healed. I have given you my life and nature in overflowing abundance and without end. I have given you my spirit as a helper to be one with you and to live in you forever. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you to empower you to live the life I created you to live. I've set my eternal love upon you and nothing can separate you from it. I have withheld nothing from you. If I gave you my son, I will surely give you all other things. If I, I have given you my name, my word, my kingdom, my glory, my authority and my victory i have made you righteous i have made you free i have made you wise i have made you strong and i've made you prosperous jesus became a curse for you so the blessing of abraham could forever encompass your life i have seated you together beside me with jesus in the heavenly places far above any demonic threat to your destiny i've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness i've blessed you with every spiritual blessing and i've prepared things for those who love me that go beyond your wildest imaginations stand with me this morning i want to give you an assignment okay i want you to grab a copy of this grab a couple of copies of this we've got plenty and i want you to put this somewhere that you can read it preferably on the bathroom mirror where you get ready in the morning Because what this really is, it's a mirror. This is a reflection of your true image. This this is who you are to your Creator Father. Amen. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud at least once a day. It wouldn't hurt to even do it more than that. We, we are bombarded with things from the enemy. All kinds of fodder for that self-image loop, right? At some point, we've got to come against that, counteract that. Are you following me? Amen. I want to pray for you this morning. Father... I thank you for the beautiful people that are in this room, the beautiful children, Father, in Children's Church, babies in the nursery, Father. Precious lives, Father. You knew every one of us before we ever breathed oxygen in this atmosphere. You have a plan for us, Lord. Purpose, significance, identity, security, acceptance, Father all these wonderful things that you have for us and that you paid a very, very high price for us to have and enjoy. Father, help us come to terms with this simple truth. If who we are never changes, then we'll never change. But if who we are has been changed by you, if how we see ourselves never changes, then our life reality will remain as it is.
Father, help us be real before you. Father, these silly games that, that we, we play on this earth and in our communities and neighborhoods and families and even in the family of faith, Father. Help us cut that out, especially when it comes to the one who sees and knows everything there is to see and know about us, Father. There is nothing we can hide from you. We may can hide it from other people, but we cannot hide it from you. We're just wasting time trying. Help us to understand, Father, that you know everything there is to know about us and you still love us with an unspeakable, unconditional, eternal love. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. We're going to sing together before we do.